We're trying to conduct a serious scientific investigation. Science, logic, reason. Do you have any hard data? Now, that's what I call science. You're listening to That's What I Call Science, the weekly radio show and podcast bringing you big ideas from the small island of Tasmania. My name's Dr. Neve Chapman and I'm joined by my co-host, Kelsey Pickard. And I'd like to begin today's episode by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording, the Palawa people. As we record on Lutruwita and acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which you are listening. On behalf of everyone, I pay my respects to elders past and present. So today we'll be talking about the importance of soil health for Australian agriculture and whether it is possible to actually smell whether you have healthy soil or not. To tell us about this, we are joined by Dr. Shane Powell from the Tasmanian Institute of Agriculture. So Kelsey, can you tell us a little bit more about Shane and what we'll be talking about? Yeah, sure. So Shane is a senior lecturer in microbiology at the University of Tasmania and her research focuses on microbial community dynamics and exploring how microbes interact with the environment. So Shane, thanks for joining us today. Um, I noticed that you didn't always work on soil microbiology when I looked you up, um, but you previously worked in the Antarctic, is that right? Yes, that's right. I've um, worked in a whole variety of um, environments, but they all have microorganisms in them. That's great. And can you tell us a bit about your science journey and uh, how you ended up working in microbiology? I find um, the microbial world really fascinating because it's like an entire universe that's around us that we can't see. Um, and it's so diverse and so complex that it's uh, it's really exciting to be able to investigate something that is so important but most people don't notice. And what in particular about environmental microbiology is it that interests you? I think, again, because they influence everything in the world around us. So I started working um, when I finished my f- undergraduate degree with some people that were looking at using microbes to degrade pollutants And so I thought that was really exciting that we could use um, biological organisms to undo some of the harm that humans were doing to the planet. And it just kind of went from there. So what do we mean by something like environmental microbiology? Is that the way that our environment interacts with the microbes and vice versa? Yeah, I guess what we mean in a lot of ways is microorganisms that live in natural environments rather than microorganisms that are medically important or cause disease or cause problems for us so all the microbes that live in the water and the air and the soil and we now also know they live on plants and they're very important on plant leaves and plant roots Um, they're really they're they're everywhere and so your previous work in the Antarctic so there are microbes that live there I'm assuming even though it's freezing cold Um, and what was the research you were doing down there? So I was working with a group that were called the Human Impacts Research Program at the time. Um, And they were also looking into bioremediation of oil spills in Antarctica. So obviously we're human, we take oil products wherever we we go. Um, And when you use petroleum products, it's it's very easy to spill some. Um, It's very difficult to clean that up somewhere as remote as the Antarctic. And so one of the options they were looking at was using the naturally occurring microorganisms to, to degrade um, degrade the hydrocarbons there. Wow. And they have actually, I left the program quite a while ago, but they've done some really good work. 
So essentially just using what's already naturally available in terms of microbes in Antarctica. Yes. Yeah. Wow. And just giving them what they need to work harder. So making sure they have enough nutrients, enough oxygen, all that sort of thing. How do you give them extra oxygen? Um, so one of the things people do can do is dig the ground up and turn it oh. over to aerate it. Um, there's also a technique called air sparging where they pump literally pump air into groundwater. So there's there's different ways. That's a whole Wow. Whole, whole, I never whole thought of, of that. It's yeah. a bit kind of like when you're composting though and you yes. spin it around. Exactly <laughs> like so that. So you get air yeah. into it. Ah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Cool. And so what sort of research are you currently involved with at the University of Tasmania? Um, so as you said, I work at the Tasmanian Institute of Agriculture and I'm part of the Centre for Food Safety and Innovation. So we do a lot of work looking at microbes that are used in food production and microbes that cause food spoilage. But I also work with a lot of the soil science and crop people looking at soil microbiology and the microorganisms that are associated with different types of crops, um, how, we can, how, how we can use them to help increase productivity. And actually one of the really basic questions is how do we measure them and what they're doing? So by productivity, do you mean literally how much, like how much crop you get in a particular season? Yes. So uh, there's a range of microorganisms that can actually affect how well plants grow and produce whatever it is that, that they're producing. And how by, by, by affecting how they interact with nutrients, so how they're able to take nutrients up for the, from the soil, for example. The fact that there's nutrients in the soil, but they can be very difficult for plants to actually access. So some of the microbes are really good at making it easy for plant roots to take up nutrients from the soil, as one example. And they're also good at doing things like um, fighting off disease-causing organisms. So if you have plants get diseases as well, but there's also microbes in the soil that will stop those disease-causing organisms from growing. You're listening to That's What I Call Science. Stay with us, and in just a moment, we'll be talking more to Dr Shane Powell about the work that she's doing at the University of Tasmania. You're listening to That's What I Call Science and today we are talking about environmental microbiology. My name's Kelsey Pickard and I'm joined by Dr Neve Chapman along with our expert guest Dr Shane Powell from the University of Tasmania. So previously we were talking about how there are all sorts of microbes in the soil, on plants, all doing important things to help the overall health of crops. Um, How is it that you go about measuring what microbes are there and what they're doing and what's useful? That's a really good question because it's not easy to answer. Um, there's quite a few ways that we can measure microbes in the soil, but they generally take quite a long time to do, especially if you have to do something like dig up a soil, take it to a laboratory, then um, do some kind of test to it, then get the result, then write the report that can all take days and days and days to do. One of the things that you can do instead of trying to actually identify or count all the microorganisms in a soil is try and measure what they are doing. So try and measure something that they are producing. So humans breathe oxygen in and we breathe carbon dioxide out. There are some microbes that do the same thing, but there's lots of other things that they give off as well as carbon dioxide. 
And so one of the things we might be able to do is measure those and then get an idea of what the microbes are actually doing in the soil. So you'd be measuring the kind of gases and or volatiles and things that these microbes are breathing out in a way yes. um, in a live soil sample. So while the plants are still growing, it's not disruptive or anything? No, so that's exactly the um, point that we're trying to, to do is to be able to put a sensor into the soil that can measure all the different volatiles that are there. And some of them will come from the plants themselves and come from different organisms that live in the soil and some of them will come from the microorganisms as well. My favourite analogy is, is coffee. So we can all walk in and we smell coffee and we know that it's coffee even though our brain doesn't identify you know, the 20 different compounds that make up the smell of coffee. We just know, oh, that's coffee. And then we also know, oh, that coffee smells really nice or, oh, that coffee's been burnt. So um, just those different volatiles without needing to identify every single one gives you a good overall picture. And that's, that's kind of what our ENOS project is trying to do. That sounds really cool. So the ENOS... This is a little device that you're able to put out in the field to measure these volatiles off and it's like literally smelling the soil for you. Um, what kind of smells indicate whether the soil is healthy or not or are you able to tell whether the soil needs an addition of certain microbes? Or We don't, we don't know exactly at the moment which compounds are associated with healthy soil and which ones with less healthy soil. We know some things. So one thing that humans can smell pretty well are sulphides, you know, that sort of rotten egg kind of smell. So if you smell that coming from a soil, it generally means that there is too much water in the soil and not enough oxygen. Um, so that's a really obvious indicator, but we suspect that there are lots of other harder to identify and harder to detect compounds, and that, that's where the, the coffee analogy sort of works out. Um, one of the things that we're going to be focusing on a lot in the next couple of years is trying to compare the sort of signals that our enos can detect with how what farmers perceive as the quality of their soil and what we can measure using sort of other standard laboratory tests. So how will you go about doing that? Okay, so we're hoping to work with a bunch of people from Southern Cross University who, as part of one of their projects, are going to visit a lot of growers and ask them questions about their, their soil and ask them to identify in their property what soil is they consider to be particularly good and what soil they consider to be less productive. Because the thing about soil is it's really complicated and it's also very variable. So within one paddock, you can have a spot that's quite different um, to, to 200 metres away. So if we go and visit people, and farmers know their land really well, um, and we can ask them what they think, then we can do all the testing on that as well. So we, at the same time, we'd measure things with the enos, and at the same time, we would take a lot of tests for nutrients, for the amount of carbon in the soil, uh, for different types of organisms in the soil, so that we get the best picture that we can. What sort of human impacts or human actions impact the microbial health of a soil? So like if someone's been farming land for a really long time, is it likely that the microbes aren't going to be super healthy? Or like what, what can people do to sort of encourage healthy soils? 
There's a lot of different things. Just because land has been farmed for a long time doesn't necessarily mean that the soil quality is, is poor. It depends on the specific situation and it can depend on the soil type, it can depend on the climate, um, what the weather has been in the last six months. So if there's been a massive rain event and things have been flooded, um, all those kinds of things can can have an effect. But also some of the things that people do, driving vehicles over soil a lot causes it to compact and then you lose all the space for air in the soil which makes it difficult for plants to grow and that will also change the kind of microorganisms that are in the soil. The type of nutrients, so if you're growing plants you need to put nutrients into the soil um, but if you put too much in then you can alter the, the balance of what microorganisms are living in the soil. We know in Australia, you know, our native plants don't like a lot of phosphorus, so you don't go giving native plants a lot of phosphorus, but there are other crops that do need a lot of phosphorus. So those two things would result in different microorganisms living in the soil as well. Um, if you use organic types of fertiliser or if you have animals on a property, that will also change what microbes are in the soil. What kind of data does the ENOS collect? This project's only been running for about 18 months, so there's... Early uh, days. Yeah, there's a whole lot we don't really know and we haven't decided what we're going to do with it yet. Um, but the way, the way it works is there's a whole bunch of sensors that detect different types of compounds. It falls into the realms of big data, mm -hmm. um, big complicated data. One of the things that we might try using, it's called a neural network, so that's like having a brain that processes all the smells that our nose is taking in. We think of the neural network as trying to find its way through all the signals that electronic nose might be detecting. So do you think rather than saying, hey, I smell sulfate, mm. uh, it could be giving like a quality score or something? So rather than being like this smell in particular, maybe on like the surface level? I think that's going to be the most useful way for it to go. So it might be that it comes out with a you know a score from 1 to 10 or it might be something as simple as hey last week your soil was producing this kind of picture and now this week it's producing a slightly different kind of picture and this is correlated uh, with soil that's stressed in some way oh. so, so one of one of the experiments that we have done was um, applying a water stress to soil so flooding it and then letting it dry out to bone dry and then flooding it again. And we could see changes in the signals that were coming out, out from that. So we'd be able to correlate the signal that you get when a soil is very, very wet to what you get when a soil is at sort of optimal conditions for plant growth to what you get when a soil is very, very dry. Now, I mean, obviously most people can tell whether a soil is wet or dry without having to use an e-nose, um, but that's just one example of how a stress that affects all the things that live in the soil could be detected potentially. Yeah, it's really cool. and sounds like it's got a lot of future applications. Stick with us for part three as we delve into what Shane's research could mean for Australian farmers. You're listening to That's What I Call Science and we are talking all about this special device called an e-nose which can smell the microbiology living in the soil. My name's Kelsey Pickard and I'm joined by Dr Neve Chapman along with our guest Dr Shane Powell from uh, the University of Tasmania. 
Shane, what would you like to see the applications of the ENOs uh, mean for Australian farmers? I think there's a lot of potential in the ENOs. This project um, is being delivered through the Soil CRC and they are really keen that uh, the research produces something that can help farmers to make decisions based on evidence. So I think one thing that it might be really useful for farmers is to let them know whether what they're, how what they are doing is affecting their soil. So they can make a decision uh, if they've tried, I don't know, if they've tried putting a particular nutrient on one paddock, they can actually see reasonably quickly what effect that's having on their soil. So that might allow them to make decisions as to whether that's something that's good to do and worth spending money on or whether they should be trying something else. And what has the interest from farmers been like so far? Have they sort of been engaged in this process? They Farmers are really interested in this. So we've been working with four grower groups through the Soil CRC, um, Soils for Life, Birdship on the mainland, our Southern Farming Systems and FarmLink. And they've helped us to meet with growers and talk to them about what they want to know about their soil, what they want to know about biology in their soil, um, and they, the farmers have been really enthusiastic about telling us what, what they're interested in and also what they would and wouldn't be prepared to do to get this information because if we're saying we're going to produce a device that you can use, that's great, but it's still going to take time out of their really busy day to actually go and get those measurements and then understand them and, and action them. So we had to find out as well what, how much time they actually would be prepared to put into it, what sort of costs would be prohibitive, um, how they want to see the information when it comes out the other end. So the farmers that we've been speaking to have been really helpful um, and they are really interested in learning more about their soil because obviously the soil's everything to them. Do you think that a technology like this might specialise or... Okay, kind of, we were talking about in the middle section that, mm. um, you know, it's almost like big data. Well, it is big data because of all of the sensors that it has. And it sounds like it could be ripe for machine learning or something to essentially inform mm. how it assesses the quality. Do you think that it would um, be best in a, like a really specific environment, such as farmers growing in drought conditions? Or would the goal to be to make something that's useful in lots of different environments? I think... It's likely that it's going to be slightly different for different environments. So it might be that we have um, one enos that's really good for farmers growing grains in Western Australia and we have another enos that's more suited to vegetable growers in Tasmania um, and then maybe another one that's useful for dairy farmers that want to grow lots of pasture. And why would, it, would that be the case that you need a different device slightly for each setting? Different. Because there are, there's different microorganisms in different kinds of soil and that's something that's really well, well known and that people have known for quite a while. But there's also different types of good microorganisms. So just because you, have one, you could have one really productive soil in the red, the red soils that we have in the northwest of Tasmania and there could be a, a group of microorganisms that are there they're only there because of the particular nature of that soil. You can go to another really productive soil in, in Victoria or 
even somewhere else in Tasmania and it's just as productive but it has a different bunch of microorganisms and they're producing slightly different volatile compounds from, from what they're doing which means that the signal that's being given off or the signal that we're detecting is going to be slightly different. Both still good but slightly different. So I think that's why we're likely to have uh, a set of e-noses rather than just one. That yeah, that's everything. great that you can make it location specific too so that, you know, when farmers mm. would be investing in it, they'd know it's like fit for purpose for what they're doing and where they're based. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it sounds like it kind of needs to be calibrated to a specific farm almost to begin with, ideally on like a healthy soil so then you can read any changes off off of what you think is normal. Yeah, that's that's another way that we might be able to take it too. So it might be um, that you have a have an enos and each individual person will calibrate it for their situation, and they go, well, this is what this is what it looks like when things are good, and as soon as it deviates from that, we know that there's uh, something changing in the soil, and we need to do something. Do you think it would ever become sophisticated enough to be able to indicate what kinds of things to do or is that a kind of, hey, mm. it, it, the compound's changed and it's changed in this way? It would be really nice if it could sit in the soil for 10 minutes and then pop up and say, hey, this soil needs more nitrogen and um, the soil next door needs more potassium. But I think we're probably a very long way from being able to be that specific with it. Uh, there's lots of other research trying to look at those sorts of specifics as well. So we're really focusing on biological activity. It might be that somebody else manages to fill in that, that gap, gap for us. I think one of the really interesting things that I've learned from you today is that um, not only could we go and take a snap, like if we took a snapshot of soil in a farm, it could be really good on that day, but that it could change next week. So how mm. important do you think it is that somebody could just get a snapshot over time of their soil? Do you think that that's one of the key strengths? I think that could be potentially really important for farmers to be able to show how their soils are performing over a, a long amount of time. So it might help them learn how to cope with adverse ev events when, when things happen. Um, but they could also be maybe be able to use that to show that what they're doing with their land is actually improving their land. And that would be really valuable information for a grower to have. Yes, yeah, so like if they had a crop yield and then, mm. you know, maybe the soil changed, but then they did certain steps to revitalise it. And then they could be like, look, it worked because the Eno's has shown me that it has. Yeah, or even being able to show that, you know, I've been growing in here for 20 years and look, my soil is in better shape than what it was yeah um, that that's also really valuable for a whole range of reasons so this all sounds really promising um, and super exciting like an, ex an exciting technology um, but still very early days you said it's really yeah. only been 18 months or so that this has sort of been underway um, what are the main limitations that you see with this technology so far there's a few things. At the moment, uh, it still works attached to mains power. Um, so we are working... So we've got a large group of people working on this project, everything from soil scientists to electronic engineers and biologists and all sorts of things. So some of them are looking at how we can connect to solar power. Um, and then there's the other issue of getting the data off the e-nose to where it can be used. And it'd be really great if we could do that wirelessly um, and remotely, but you know, there's 
some few technological issues to go. Uh, the calibration that you mentioned before, that's also something that we need to work on and that's going to be a big focus of the next phase of the project. Sounds like a really fun project to be involved in, super multidisciplinary and then also having that added uh, additional challenge of having to translate science talk to farmer talk and everything. Mm. Um, how have you found that process of working directly with farmers as well as scientists from different areas? So amongst the, the researchers, we discovered pretty early on that we were all speaking slightly different languages. Mm. <laughs> so that's taken a little bit of time when you know we might be really involved in a conversation and disagreeing about something. And then we actually go, actually, no, we're all using the same word to mean something different. Mm. So we've had to work that out between ourselves. Um, working, this is probably the first time that I personally have worked closely with with growers and the end users of the of the project and that's been challenging for me to be able to try and explain what we're doing and why we think it's a good idea um, to other people but it's also been really rewarding because once you jump over that sort of barrier um, people are really interested in learning more about their soil and um, they're really keen to try and get involved with the science and, and help us out so that what we produce is in the end is useful. So it's been challenging but also really rewarding. And do you think that that kind of knowledge exchange has been two ways? So have you mm. heard from growers and end users in ways that's then informed how you've gone about creating the enos or the type of research that you would prioritise? Yeah, so we've deliberately tried to talk to them early in the project to try and inform the design process it uh, came to a bit of a, a bit of a halt, abrupt halt with COVID last year, so we couldn't travel around and talk to people quite the way we'd intended to. Uh, but we still we still got a lot of feedback early on, and yeah, by getting their ideas and trying to incorporate the ones that we can, hopefully that will make the end product better. That's great. Well, thanks so much, Shane, for a really exciting. Um, episode. I'm sure that lots of backyard green fingers would also be very interested in <laughs> Eno's if it became commercially available. You've yep. been listening to That's What I Call Science. We love bringing you science-ready content and hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please like, subscribe, and if you can, leave a review wherever you get your podcast because it will help us spread the good word of science to more people. My name's Dr. Neve Chapman. I'd like to thank my co-host, Kelsey Pickard, for organising today's episode, and once again, thank our expert guest, Dr. Shane Powell. Until next time, thank you and goodbye. This program was made possible with support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Find out more at cbf.org.au. You've been listening to That's What I Call Science, brought to your station and across the nation via the Community Radio Network. You can find That's What I Call Science on all major podcast streaming services and social media platforms. Like and subscribe for on-demand science updates from the team. That's What I Call Science is proudly recorded in Tasmania at Edge Radio. Head to edgeradio.org.au for more information on how you can support community radio. Gemmaker are a proud sponsor of That's What I Call Science. Gemmaker provide expert advice, services and training to commercialise new knowledge and technologies. Go to gemmaker.com.au for more information.